Often as guitarists, we just think about chords and lead and we don't think about rhythm, but I bet you your favorite guitarists are also really solid in, in the pocket. Welcome back to the Pickup Music Pod, where we share tips to improve your guitar playing. I'm Sam Blacklock, co-founder here at Pickup Music, and I'm joined by Carl, our head of education. So let's dive right in and talk about the top six things every intermediate guitarist should know. Now, you may have heard of some of these things, but we're going to go deep on them, and there's going to be a few surprises, hopefully, of some things to look into. So starting off with the first one, which is everything minor is major, and inversely, everything major is in minor. Nice. I like that, Sam. That's something that my first guitar teacher used to tell me all the time. He used to say, whatever works for major works for minor. But what does that mean? Well, I like to think of it as a two-for-one, you know, go to the store, everyone likes buy one, get one free. And it's the same thing for music. So anything in major, whether that's a major scale, an arpeggio, or a chord, all those major flavors all work in the relative minor. And there's a quick rule here, um, which is the rule of three frets. If you're in major, go down three frets. One, two, and you're in minor. And then how do you get from minor to major? Well, just take those stairs back on up to major. Nice. Yep. So let's start off with an example. Carl, do you got a chord there that is a major chord, which also works in a minor context? How about this one? So this is a drop two voicing. Um, it works beautifully for a C major seven if you have a C in the bass. But if you have an A in the bass, it becomes an A minor nine. So, I'll just sing the bass note since I don't have a lower, oh, wait, yeah, I do. <laughs> there you go, new voicing. Never played that one exactly like that, but usually, you know, I have a bass player holding in that, that root, but yeah. That's that's a nice one. What about you? One of my favorite ones is this uh, little G major seven voicing. I'm up here on the third fret if you're listening along. So it's really nice and crunchy because you're getting that open strings. You know, it's always great to get an open string and a chord voicing when you can. Um, but you can you know play that over an E minor as well. Listen to this. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And just to take a little bit of a theory detour here, what's really cool is anything major, like a major seven arpeggio, when you translate that to the relative minor, you're actually accessing some of those upper extensions, the ninths and elevens. So it's kind of a quick way to cheat around knowing a lot of music theory by just playing a major chord over the relative minor. You're going to access those upper uh, beautiful notes. For example, here's another one, G major seven. But over an E minor, that's an E minor 9. And of course, within every chord, there's an arpeggio. So the same thing applies on a lead side. Now, practically speaking, there are two spots in a major key. Um, there's the 1 and the 6 minor chords. So there's that classic... So those two chords share the same harmonic language. Those are both what we in classical music theory would call tonic chords. And there's also the two subdominant chords, which is the four chord, which shares a lot in common with the two minor chord. And you can group those as both performing a subdominant function that's like kind of a sustained function. 
So anything, I'm in the key of C. So anything on the F major seven chord is gonna work really nicely over a D minor nine chord and vice versa. So some ways to practice this is anytime you learn a really awesome chord or lick, whether in minor and major, try it out in the relative pairing there and you might be surprised at how it sounds. Nice. I love that you started with a harmonic thing. Can I take us uh, into a rhythmic, into the rhythmic world? Let's go there. All right. Well, my first one would be to be able to subdivide the beat into all of the standard rhythmic groupings. So what are what do I mean by subdivide and what do I mean by standard rhythmic groupings? So first of all, to subdivide the beat just basically means like whatever tempo that you're at, you're able to divide it into whole notes, half notes, quarter notes, eighth notes, triplets, and 16th notes. So let's say we have this tempo. To, I'm going to play whole notes, three, four, half notes, one, two, four, quarter notes, one, two, eighth notes, one, two, triplets, sixteenth, and be able to uh, seamlessly uh, move in and out of all of those different rhythms. Uh, that is a super helpful skill that will really kind of uh, bring life to your solos and your comping too. If you're able to think about these things almost as if like, you know, the way that you would learn a scale and you would sit down and really kind of, you know, look at the uh, the shape and, and examine it, try to think about that same type of, you know, due diligence with understanding your rhythms. And this doesn't necessarily mean you have to like study music theory or anything like that. You don't even have to look at a sheet of uh, music to do this. It's totally internal. And actually, it's probably better that you don't look at anything. We actually have, uh, just to shout out uh, something real quick, we have in the intermediate pathway, we talk about this a lot. And also, uh, there's that 10-minute warm-up that we've talked about in a previous episode um, where uh, we have you know a full-on backing track that will help you really get these rhythms down. Speaking of rhythm, my second uh, must-know thing here is the intro to Little Wing. And it's in an interesting one because Hendrix plays around between both swung and straight rhythms. And I know, Kyle, you're going to get to that in a sec. But it's so fascinating. I mean, you, you can think about it or you can just feel it, which is also a valid approach as well. But often as guitarists, like, like you say, we just think about chords and lead and we don't think about rhythm. But I bet you your favorite guitarists are also really solid in, in the pocket. So Little Wing, we kind of might think of this as just the generic song that a lot of guitarists know, something you play in Guitar Center. But I revisited it a little bit to prepare for this pod, and there's so much in there that you can take away. Um, and it's kind of like any great song. It's not just about learning the song. It's kind of taking away bits and pieces and putting them in your own music. So here are a couple of things which I took away from it. The first is just articulating chords, whether that's major... That's something you can do on any major chord. Now, that sounds very Hendrixy with the rhythm, but you can reduce it just to the idea of, you know, put that on a pop beat and it's sounding super cool. And he also does that on minor chords as well. So 
So a chord is not just the chord. A chord is just the starting point. On top of that, you can use your knowledge of scales and hammer-ons and those neighborhood notes to build out that chord into something much more harmonic. And Jimmy does that really well between the lyrics, which is another great piece of this. And the last reason why Little Ring is such a great song is that it covers a lot of your fretboard. You're not stuck in one position. And a lot of early intermediate guitar players will just find those one or two positions and stay there. But the magic of Jimmy's playing is that he can play the same chord in different positions on his guitar. And in each of those different positions, and this is something I learned from you, Carl, is that it, within the specific ways he plays chords in different shapes of the cage system, and there's just guitaristic nuggets of gold lying in each of those positions where it's or if it's maybe you could speak more on this you're the you're the in-house hendrix expert there carl <laughs> well i would say i'm the in-house caged hendrix expert okay <laughs> um but no, totally. I, his playing lends itself to the cage system or being kind of analyzed through the lens of caged, you know, which we also have a previous episode on. But yeah, there's there's uh, very guitaristic things, like you said, sort of that like going from A shape to the A shape into G shape territory. That's, you know, there's a lot of players that do that. But of course, he was kind of, I would say, one of the first to really make that his own. It's hard to pick one. There's more than just that, you know, but but that that's one that comes to mind. I think that's a fantastic choice for an intermediate guitar player to learn the intro to Little Wing Sam. I, I couldn't agree more. As you said, it, it's like all across the neck and almost like every type of bar chord, whether it's major or minor, he gives you some type of like riff language to work with, which is really cool. Yes, yeah, so I'd encourage you, even if you learned it 10 plus years ago like me, to revisit Little Wing. It's iconic for a reason and uh, pull out a few pieces for yourself. On that topic of, of swing, like you said, you mentioned it briefly. I actually had understanding the concept of swing as one of my you know top three here to add to our top six. Um, and you know the first thing to understand with swing is that it's a trigger word for a lot of people because they're like, Oh, what I have to like learn my my jazz scales or whatever. It's not about scales. Like swing, the concept of the swing feel is a rhythmic thing that's in every not well, maybe not every style of music, maybe not metal. But uh if there's any metal swing out there, let us know in the comments. <laughs> but uh but for sure blues, for sure reggae, for sure pop, for sure many different styles of rock. Um and you know it's 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 really understanding swing on a spectrum. And there's an interesting clip from Jacob Collier. I've seen a few different him, I've seen him talk about this a few different times. And the freak musician that he is, he has like all the swing percentages um, kind of in his brain, just ready to go. But listen to his examples here. What's up? I'm Jacob. This is a small rhythmic thing that you can think about to enliven your life. Um, swing percentages. So here's the time. This is 50% swing. And this is a 66% swing. And this is 80% swing. And my personal favorite, 57. That feels really good. Explore, enjoy, have a good day. Bye. So, 
you know, and I don't even think that anyone listening um, as a guitarist anyways, or an intermediate guitarist needs to be that freakish about it, but it's just more being aware of it in both your solos and your comping. And if you're writing music, it's such a powerful tool to be able to, you know, add a certain amount of swing to any of those things that I just mentioned. So um, we have, uh, we, we also talk about that in the intermediate learning pathway at Pickup. Um, and we have, you know, a bunch of different uh, material on that. But, you know, just setting a metronome and try to pretend that you have your own dial, that you're turning up and turning down the swing. And if you have, uh, if you happen to have like a DAW at home or Logic, especially, you can put on like the Logic drummer and there's literally a swing percentage. And this is kind of what Jacob's talking about. And you can learn very quickly what those different feels sound like um, or the different percentages sound like. Uh, so yeah, uh, that, that would be my, my recommendation is, is pop, pop open logic if you have it and, uh, or, or garage band and uh, mess with the, the swing percentage. That's a really fun exercise. And I think it works really well in hip hop because often, you know, we do correlate like swing with jazz, but a lot of the feel good hip hop beats are a little bit swung. Um, and you might, um, so if you just jam along to those, you'll be inherently kind of adding a little bit of bounce and swing to your playing. Because if you were to play just straight notes, it's going to feel a little bit off. Um, so it's something that you can probably do more easily and maybe you are doing it um, already. The only th other thing I would add, which is interesting, is that as the tempo increases, the swing becomes more straight. And then on slower um, tempos, for example, what Jacob Collier was doing, then there's more opportunity for variance because there's more time between the beats. So you can get these really big swung feels, um, which sounds kind of really old school. Um, but once you get, you know, 90 BPM plus, um, then it becomes a lot more nuanced. And something I recommend everyone check out is quintuplet swing, which is that, um, that lazy um, Jay Diller feel. I think a few nerdy people figured out um, that dividing it into five and then hitting i think it's the, the first and then the the third note in that gets you that real lazy uh feel oh wow that's a good tip i didn't know that just talk to a drummer um, about that oh really yeah. <laughs> um yeah the last thing i'll i'll say on this that that you that came to my mind from what you said is um sometimes you know it's it's also about the push and pull of what's happening with the other people in, in the music or live or on the track or whatever it is. Uh, and Josh, Josh Ray Gooch talks about this, you know, in the rock pathway where he, uh, he mentions like Chuck Berry, he was playing a straight feel on the guitar while the drums were actually swinging. And that's what kind of the, the, the birth of the sound of rock and roll, like created that push and pull. And, uh, yeah. And when you're soloing, you know, if you have control over this in your playing, um, and you're adding more of that swing feel or less of that swing feel against whatever the drums and bass are doing, it's a really powerful tool. So, uh, yeah. So Sam, what's another one? What's your, what's your final one that you have for us? Yeah. So my third, uh, one here is the number system. And this is just a great way to talk to other musicians, to decode songs that you know, and then to write songs, um, similar to songs that you love. It's also great for learning music quickly for a gig. Um, so rather than just writing down chords, um, you can just 
distill a song into one of seven numbers, usually songs, uh, just one of seven chords. And then each of those chords um, has a corresponding chord type. So it's very easy to figure out, you know, the code of a song. Um, I'm doing this for a gig coming up. I don't do many gigs these days, but there's like 10 songs, you know, some of them are pretty tough, but when I'm driving in the car, I don't have perfect pitch. So I, I won't know what the key is, but I know a four chord when I hear one. So I've got the numbers to all these songs in my ears. I just have to sit down with my guitar uh, when I can and just find the 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 home base and then mm. i just lay out all the chords in the key and boom know the song without actually having my guitar in my hands so let's do a little pop quiz sam i'm going to give you a, a roman numeral chord progression and uh and let's have you play it let's do it all right so uh let's do a one major seven to a six minor nine to a four major seven to a four minor seven in the key of C. <laughs> okay, here we go. What was it? Four minor what? Then four minor seven, yeah. Oh, minor seven. Nice. And see, that's the beauty of it. You know, if we're anywhere in the world uh, and you're, you know, a musician that has studied this, you can just mention some numbers and they'll be able to probably, you know, do what you just did. But nicely done. I liked your voicings there. So if you're new to the number system, I'll just give you the uh, the quick uh, guide here. So how it works is um, the one chord in the key is always number one. And then from the major scale, we have seven notes. So we just give a number to each of those notes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then back to the root. And then if we play a chord on each of those root notes, it always follows the same pattern, no matter what key it is. And it's a one major, two minor, three minor, four major, five dominant, six minor, seven half diminished, and then you're back to one. So just seven chords, um, and you just got to know your major, that, and you just have to know the order, which is major, minor, minor, major dominant, minor, half diminished. You know, we learned the alphabet, and there's, there's a lot of letters in the alphabet. We did that when we were kids. So you can, if you don't know it already, you can learn like seven chords in a row. And then the next step above that is knowing common configurations of chords because music's not random. It's a very systemized and formula, formulaic thing, not only in the chord progressions, but also the forms of songs. So there's going to be some common moves, which you're probably already familiar with, whether that's a one, six, four, five, one. Six, four, five, or a two, five, one in jazz, or a three, six, two, five, one. And what you'll find is once you can play them on your guitar or you can hear them or sing them, you'll start seeing these um, chord progressions out in the wild. You'll, you'll put on Spotify 
um, and you'll be like, oh, that's just a four, three, seven, six minor neo-soul cliche chord progression. Sam, is it easier for you to hear guitar voicings or could you, do you think you'd be able to identify that if it was on the piano as well? Yeah, it's a really good question and it's certainly harder um, if there's no guitar because there's only a finite number of guitar chords. So it's a bit like Pokemon. You just, you know, once you know it, you caught it, you got it, right? So there's only there's only ever one G major seven with that open B string chord, uh, G string, sorry. Um, so if there is no guitar, that, that poses uh, another challenge. So I guess you would, one option would be you could either listen to the root note or you could listen to the quality of the chord. Now, if it's something like a trap song and there's like no clear chord and it's like an 808, then it gets a bit tricky. Yeah, definitely harder for me as well. Um, but I agree, singing the bass notes, uh, if there's no guitar, usually gets me in the ballpark. And then if I pick up my guitar, I can usually figure out the chords pretty quickly from there. So Carl, what's your final thing which every intermediate guitarist should know? Be intentional with your bends and vibrato. You know, we get a lot of uh, submissions from people here at Pickup and we see a lot of intermediate guitar players or late beginner guitar players. They kind of have this bad habit of every note having... Like every note they land on, right, is just automatic vibrato. But... You know, you have to understand there's many different types of vibrato. And when you're listening to different guitar players, you should really start to try to emulate the exact vibrato and check out YouTube videos and watch their hands um, to really try to uh, mimic it and be intentional with it. There's also, uh, in terms of uh, vibrato, there's wide and narrow and fast and slow. And thinking on those different spectrums and having control of them is, again, just like another thing that it takes years of practice, but uh, it's definitely worthwhile. And you'll instantly start sounding more mature as a player and just more intentional, you know. Um, now, the same thing goes with bends. I mean, they're kind of in the same ballpark, right? I mean, um, but uh, with bends, the, the the most basic thing you can do as an intermediate guitar player is to really start to hear the difference between half steps and whole steps. And so having a drone of some sort, whether, you know, I'm, I'll just play an A for now, but uh, so if I'm, um, let's say I'm starting, uh, you know, starting here. I'm shooting for a half step there. Okay, well, what about a major seven? All right, well, I'm gonna first play it. just really sitting with it. You know, it's a very like meditative practice um, and something that I quite enjoy. Sounds like it's a rip your fingers to shreds practice. <laughs> the whole steps. Okay. I'll give you a tip. Uh, start up higher um, on the neck. You know, don't, don't practice your whole step bends with a drone on the, the seventh fret. Like I just demonstrated. <laughs> if you're new to it, you know, start it Start it up higher, maybe on the B string. That's a really great string to start on. Um, so maybe it's in the key of D and you're like way up here um, on, say, the uh, 14th fret. 
up uh, bend. Oh, sorry. Let me try that again. So say maybe you're uh, doing it in D, and you're up on say uh, open D, and then the fourteenth fret on the B string, and you're just bending up to the root. That's a really nice one to practice for a, uh, a half step. I hear time and time again from from players um, where they just kind of don't. They just haven't really thought about it. And it's it's almost not even it's like once they're thinking about it, they can they can do it a lot better. It's just really being aware. Um and then, you know, once you're aware, then then there's a lot of practice to go into it still. But that first step of just being aware of how you're playing your bends and vibrato is can instantly make you sound better. Yeah, as a recovering jazz uh, guitarist, I certainly know that bends are something uh, intonation-wise that I, I can get better at. And uh, yeah, I think on the vibrato side, you just sound a little less nervous if um, you have more intent be behind the vibrato. Yeah, or no vibrato, right? Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, cause, cause that's the thing is, I think it is a nervous tick, and it's like, oh, I got to do something interesting here, right? But no, you don't really. Just try, try to sit on that note without. Just let the note die. A natural <laughs> hey. death. Just a. <laughs> oh, there's something in the guitarist that makes me want to give it a give it a little. Shit. Yeah, and this is where tone comes in. You know, if like if you're using vibrato, like literally a vibrato pedal or something, then you know you don't. You don't need to do it, right? So then if you're doing it and you have a vibrato sound on, you're competing with that and it's just going to sound weird. Or how much sustain do you have? Like um, there's a lot of different things that really come into play. Um, and as an intermediate guitar player, you know, you should be really starting to mess around with different types of drive and, and uh, overdrive and distortion because all of these things, they, they can really impact how you bend and how you vibrato, how you use vibrato. Going off this, I think there are two things which set a lot of guitarists back in 2023. And the first one is learning tabs online. You're not going to pick up on the nuances of vibrato if you just go ahead, you know, going back to Little Wing and just learn it from a YouTube video of it or just from Ultimate Guitar Tabs because you can't show the nuances of like vibrato on a chord or on a line, like just with a little squiggly line. You really have to hear that. Um, and like listen to that in order to emulate it. And then the second way to improve your touch and tone is actually being out there and up close with a really great guitarist. Like there's something about how a really studied guitarist holds and touches the guitar. Like your touch, Carl, I think is like immaculate. And it reminds me of, of people like um, Adam Levy, um, even you know, a lot of great jazz guitar players, you get up close with them, they're holding the guitar in a whole different way. And it's not something that you can see on a YouTube video or you see at a theater if you go see Joni Bonamassa. There's something about that kind of small room, ideally, you know, a one-on-one -on -one lesson or, or a jam session and seeing how someone sustains a note, bends up a note, their touch, they're probably not going to be smashing the guitar. They're probably just, you know, caressing it. There's probably a little like movement in the neck, you know, they're really making it sing and sustain. And if you only learn from home, um, from tabs, and don't get out there and get up close to your favorite guitar players, there's something missing there. What do you reckon, Carl? Yes, I, could, I couldn't agree more, Sam. 
very very well said cool so just to summarize the six things we have everything minor is major and vice versa we had uh the importance of subdividing the beat know your whole notes quarter notes eighth notes triplets and sixteenths we had little wing you know if you don't know it go learn the intro you know just the first few measures if you do know it do what I did and just go back and revisit it. There's a lot there to take away. And then understand the concept of swing. Even if you're not trying to be a jazz musician, swing exists in many other types of music. And uh, maybe you want to play around with the swing meter in Logic or in your DAW um, to see how that feels at different percentages. And then lastly, know the number system and be intentional with your bends and vibrato. Now, if you do want to work on these things, we have some recommendations along the bends and vibrato lines are Blues Learning Pathway with Seth Rosenblum is the most detailed way to practice your bends. I'm talking about days and days of exercises just focusing on this. Um, it was really insightful for me being there filming it with Seth and he talks about you know the amount of vibrato, the directions. Um, it's, it's a really great way to quickly build that into your plane. On the rhythmic side and the soloing side number system all of those real intermediate core skills we have the Intermediate Learning Pathway on Pickup Music taught by Carl and I, and it really addresses those in a digestible way. So that's it for the pod. Thanks for joining us. Excuse the little cold in my voice here. We're both recovering from a little something, but it was great to be here with you again. Make sure you like the podcast. Um, we grow nice and strongly on both Spotify and Apple Music. And uh, share it with your friend if you like it. It always helps. And uh, we'll see you back next week uh, for the next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you around.